All right, good evening, everybody. Uh, tonight we're going to be in Philippians. We'll start that book, and uh, we'll do our best. Well, we'll see how far we get. I don't want to promise chapter 2, but we'll, we'll see how far we get. Philippians was written by Paul to encourage them. Now, he's in prison at this time in Rome, waiting for his sentencing. Um, this, he'll get released and then gets brought back to be beheaded later on, but this is the time he gets released. But while he's here, he writes several letters to the churches to encourage them. And this is one of those letters. Philippians is a good group of folks. His theme of this book is joy. Um, he's overjoyed about them. Um, you could almost say that uh, each letter to different churches is a lot like different people in our lives. Some people bring us joy, some people need to be corrected, and, and so on. And Philippians, they're those folks that well, you just thank God for. And uh, we're very much an encouragement to Paul. And so he writes this letter to them. Um, it's written around 62 AD, uh, while he's in jail in Rome, about 11 years after he plants the church there. Okay, so that gives you a little bit of a time frame. 11 years later, he plants the church, or 11 years before he plants the church, and then writes this letter to them uh, to encourage him. Acts 16, I'll turn there and read, and you can too if you want to. Verse 16 kind of tells us one of the stories from Philippi that'll at least you'll understand which group we're talking about here, because there's a lot of different groups. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, he's in Philippi, uh, with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrate and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the, the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house, in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent, to, you, sent uh, to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them themselves 
uh, come and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. When they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and then departed. Now, I read all that to you because I want you to know what the Philippians think of the power of God. This is what they saw in Paul when they first met him. They heard him teach the gospel. They saw him get arrested. They thought, oh no, this guy must be a crazy man. And then they see God step in and shake the foundations of the prison and allow him to come out, but he doesn't. The magistrates change their mind and allow them to go, but he doesn't. And he has authority over everybody in the city at this point. God has given him that, given Paul that authority, where before he was just some guy that Well, he was just a troublemaker, a prisoner, a a convict, a criminal. But they saw God change all that. And so they're looking for that. And so Paul, being in prison now several, you know, well, we don't know exactly how long, but for months now in Rome, Philippians are wondering what's going to happen here. Um, They want to know when this is, the jail's going to break. When is Nero going to bow before Paul? You know, they're kind of looking for that. And you'll see Paul write this letter to them to encourage them. God sometimes delivers us out of situations, but a lot of times he delivers us in situations. And that's what Paul's letter to them is about. God doesn't always just remove problems. A lot of times he just stands with us in those problems. But he can. He can do both. But this letter is specifically designed to encourage them in the fact that, no, I'm probably not getting out of here like I got out of your jail. Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops, or the elders, and deacons. So he writes to three different groups of people, including all of them. Just the saints in general. That's everybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. No one gets special sainthood. It's just if you're in Jesus, you're automatically a saint. And then also to the elders. Those are the leadership uh, in the church. And then to the deacons. They usually take care of the physical things of the church. So everybody there. I want the whole church um, I, want to, I greet you, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God open, or, sorry, open. <laughs> I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, or until Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, and as much as both in my chains and in my defense and um, confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all all with, with the affection of Jesus Christ. And so very tender uh, greeting to them. When Paul prays for them, and he prays for them often apparently, it's with joy. He thanks God for them. And he thanks God for them, and he tells them why he thanks God for them, and the fact that they've been with him since the beginning. From the first day that he shared the gospel, they've been a supporter. Not only in love and in prayer and in joy and in, in, in oneness of spirit, but also financially, they've been helping him. And he's going to say as much here later on. He, they've been alongside of him. Paul wasn't always a winner. You know, they didn't wait for Paul to be the winner, the best. They just supported him because he was the one that God sent to them. And so they supported him and took care of him. And he recognizes that. I just, you guys aren't problems. I'm not writing a letter of correction to you like the other churches. I'm not having, like the Corinthians, he doesn't say all this but we've gone through it. Like the Corinthians, I'm not trying to reestablish my authority with them. I'm not trying to tell them, don't you remember I'm the one that like, told you about Jesus? You know, And now I'm a creep? What happened there? 
No, you guys, when I think of you, it's just, it brings joy to me to think of you. I pray, when I pray, it brings me joy. He's got us, and he's talking about that from prison. And he wants them to know that. In this dark time, although God isn't delivering me out of prison because he's using me, I'm writing letters to churches, it's going to be canonized and put in the Bible. He doesn't know that, but we do. God's using it for good. And I'm sure he will use it for good. He'll say that here in a minute. But while I am here, what's helping me now is you people. You're praying for me. Um, when I pray for you, I think it just brings joy to my heart, even in the difficult times, in the difficult situation that I'm in. The problem isn't going away. My chains aren't going away. My imprisonment isn't going away. But my mind and my soul and my heart, they're free when I think of you and when I'm praying to God. And I know that God will use this. Um, that's encouraging. We need people like that in our lives. And, and you know, we want to be like that in other people's lives. When they think of you, you hope. They think of you and it brings joy to their heart. You know, um, you bring encouragement to them. Um, you're not someone that they want to avoid or, or, or you know, there, there are those kind of people, even in the Christian world, even in the church. There are people that, you know, aren't happy with you or they're going to they're gonna talk to you about something or, you know, they've got a problem with the way you did that or that, yeah, the other thing or... Or they've been watching you. Just joy. Full of grace, full of mercy. And they bring you joy. And these folks did that for Paul, the Philippians. And he wants them to know that. Um, he's not building them up so they get big heads and they think more of themselves than they ought to. But he is letting his lips praise them. And that's important that we do that. So you may have those people in your lives, Philippians. Um, tell them. You know, they need to hear that. Tell them. That's important. Um, you're a Philippian. When I think of you, you bring me joy. I've got you know, there's several people. I don't want to name them all. There's a lot of, all of you folks. You know, when I pray, it's just a, it's a, it's a blessing to pray for you. You know, um, it's, it's encouraging. Um, that's enough, I guess. <laughs> um, the second thing here is there's the fellowship of the gospel, and that's, that's a part of it. They're not with him. They're not in jail with him, but they share in the gospel that he preaches. They're a part of it. He's a missionary, and they've sent him, and uh, they share in that gospel. There's a fellowship there. Fellowship is the word koinonia. It's not a word we use. It's a Greek word. Uh, but it means more than that. Sometimes, sometimes when, you, when you think of church, you try to change the words a little bit so everybody can understand what you mean because you don't say that. You don't really call someone up and say, hi, would you like to come over and fellowship tonight? You say, hey, you want to come over and hang out? And that's, that's, that's understandable in that situation. You want to come over and hang out and play games or something like that. It changes it from fellowship to hang out. But fellowship in this instance means a whole lot more than hanging out. There's a oneness there, it's called. There's a oneness in the Spirit. Their, their fellowship is in Jesus. It's not we're the same age, we have the same likes or same hobbies, we're the same gender, we're the same whatever socioeconomic status. Um, there's a lot of things that we can group together for and hang out together for um, because old people don't understand young people and women don't understand men and all that. That's the whole devil, that's worldly. Um, what Paul's talking about here, and the reason you can't change that word fellowship is because the word koinonia is essential for this. We are one in Christ, and that's where our fellowship lies. I was, um, was Jamin is a funny little kid. He's a funny little boy. I love that kid. Never know what he's going to say, and I don't talk to him that often, but once in a while, he'll just be jumping, going crazy and jumping by me and just say something crazy. I'm like, all right, Jamin, got a lot of energy. I wish I had half of it, you know. 
But it was this, I think it was last Sunday, uh, just, just this last Sunday, I was walking by him, and he was doing his thing again. He goes, I don't understand it. I don't. He's flipping out, but he's happy. He's just doing that thing. I go, what is it, buddy? What's, what don't you understand? God is big. All right. What do you mean he's big? I, how can he be forever? How can he, how can he not have a beginning? How can he not have an end? And he starts walking away, mumbling to himself about that. I'm going, we had fellowship. He's way younger than I am. He has way more energy than I am. And I don't, I don't play Transformers like he plays Transformers. He just loves that stuff. But at that, when we talked about God there, there was koinonia. I'm like, dude, I get it. You figure it out. Because when you figure it out, let me know. You know, kind of thing. I love that. So the age difference is always there. Gender differences, different things, whatever. But in Christ, we have koinonia. We have fellowship. And that's what Paul's talking about there. Uh, with fellowship in the gospel. Um, and that's what he calls upon them. It's just something about Jesus. We don't know where the Philipp- Philippians were from necessarily, what they were like. They have an accent. Were they hicks? Were they city folk? Um, I'm sure historians know, and I'm sure Paul was different growing up in Jerusalem, very well educated, um, part of the Sanhedrin. There, there probably was gaps in other areas of their lives, but that didn't matter to Paul, and that didn't matter to the Philippians. They were in Christ together, and that's where the fellowship lies. And that's where our fellowship needs to lie. I love talking to you folks about uh, whatever your hobbies are and whatever your things are, but um, I don't have a whole lot of things other than church. You know, it's what I do. Um, it's what I think about. It's, 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 it, so, so when we talk about that, it doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what age you are. It, that's where fellowship is. That's where koinonia is. Um, and that's so important. Um, Anyway, and then finally he says, he who's begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He knows that. Now we write that on plaques and and we take that promise for ourselves. Um, He's specifically speaking to the Philippians. As I look at you, the Philippians, I'm not so sure he would have, uh, I don't know, I better be careful how I say that. I don't know, he didn't write it to the Corinthians. He didn't say, I absolutely know, I am confident of this very thing. He who's begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He didn't write it to the Corinthians. I'm not saying it's not true for them, probably is, but he didn't write it to them. He wrote it to the Philippians because when he thinks of them and their walk, and 11 years later, they are staying true to Jesus Christ. And one, he goes, I have no, I don't even, I pray for them with joy. Not like, oh God, you know, like the Corinthians, help them figure this out. But with the Philippians, oh God, keep them going. Just keep moving them forward. This is awesome, God. It's just like, you know. And I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the, until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, another thing we can look at, besides whether it's just for the Philippians or not, it's not. It's for everybody, provided we're walking with God. He will complete that. But it's going to take until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, we don't attain. When Paul says, I have not yet attained, he doesn't ever attain until he dies. You know, and neither will we. Um, it's the moving forward that counts. It's the, it's the growing. It's the, I'm closer to God than I was yesterday or a week ago or a year ago, you know. Um, he's going to complete it and he's doing this work in us and he's begun this good work in us and he will complete it. He wants to complete it if you let him. Now I say that it's not a promise that we can hold on to. Here's why I say that. I, I know I'm kind of jumbled here, but I want you... We can, we can put it on a plaque, but it didn't work for Dr. Templeton. Who's Dr. Templeton? He was Billy Graham's right-hand man 
who decided to walk away from God and write a book called Farewell to God. And he was in the gospel with them. He was with Jesus Christ, but renounced his, his salvation. He renounced Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. This verse doesn't apply to him. God didn't complete the work in him that he began. He did begin a work in Templeton, but he didn't complete the work in him. So I want to be careful that we don't take these plaques and throw it up on our wall and say, oh, I'm an evil, wicked person, but I've got this plaque that states that God's going to do a great work no matter what I do. We need to walk with Jesus. We need to grow with him. We need to read his word. We need to conform into his image. It's, it's, a, it's a will on our part. He doesn't just do it to us. That's something we agree to. Daily we agree to. Moment by moment we agree to. And so this verse is, is correct and wonderful, and Paul is very confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because they're walking with God, he sees no reason to think otherwise. And so, it's to be encouraged for us, I don't want to, you know, I didn't want to leave us hanging there and, and discouraged, like, oh man, no, it's, it's just going to take some effort on our part. They're, they're, don't become complacent in your walk with the Lord. Um, I want to be thought of as a Philippian or from Philippi, you know, um, and, and, and that's the key, okay? And then these things are true. Just as it is right for me to think of this all in my heart and as much both in my chains and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. He's acknowledging that. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all uh, with the affection of Jesus Christ. Um, I just can't wait to be with you again. It's so refreshing to be around the Philippians. Verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with all the fruit or with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In other words, I've given you all this praise, but I pray that it continues, that you grow, uh, that your love may abound still more. In other words, it's endless. You don't ever get to that point where, you know, I've loved enough. I've loved and look where it's gotten me. You know, you see that stuff on Facebook all the time. Here's what happens when you love too much. Here's what happens when you're a narcissist and write stuff on Facebook, you know. Uh, you can't love too much. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus saying stuff like that? I just love them too much, and they put me on a cross. See what happens? No, 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 that's not the right heart for a Christian. Um, and so Paul says, that's great. Keep going. Find the end. Find out how much you can love. Keep going forward. I pray that it abounds still more and more and in knowledge and in all discernment, not just in love. There's a verse that I use for myself quite often, love believes all things. You know, when I'm in doubt about what someone said or something and whether they're really going to do what they said they're going to do, love believes all things. You know, prove me wrong. Um, but I believe that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. Um, so in love, you believe all things. But then he goes on to say, I want you to also grow in knowledge and discernment. You know, um, grow in knowledge and discernment. I want, I want all three of those things. Abound in love. Uh, but grow more and more in knowledge and in discernment. In other words, you know God's word more and more and better and better. Um, and then in discernment. That's what the word of God's for, is to help us to discern uh, truth from you know, lies, uh, right from wrong. It, it helps us to use it and then use it. You know? 
And, and so as soon as you get that love, you're loving more, you have that knowledge, you use that discernment, and here's what you do. You approve the things that are excellent. Well, that's, that, that's not saying it, but that's judging. The way the world uses it, don't judge me. No, I'm just approving what's excellent, and I'm disapproving what's not excellent. God calls us to that as Christians. It's not wrong for us to look at something and say, wow, that is sin. That's sinful. Don't judge me. I'm not. I'm just, it's flat out sinful, you know. Um, that's like, well, that's all, you don't have to say it's like anything. That's, that's a fact. I want you to be, uh, approve the things that are excellent, and then that you may be sincere without offense uh, till the day of Christ Jesus, or until the day of Christ. Not only do I want you to be sincere in your faith, um, a lot of people can be sincere in their faith, but you also have to also have uh, without offense. In other words, you're walking it. You're, you're, I sincerely believe Jesus Christ, but you're also sincerely living like you love Christ. You know, both are true. And you can't have the other one. You can't sincerely, uh, you can't you know, be without offense, but not be sincere in your faith. You, you've got to have both of those things together. And Paul says that if you grow in love, if you grow in knowledge, if you grow in discernment, if you approve the things that are excellent, you will be in those things. That'll come to pass, sincere, without offense, until being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Your life will be filled with the fruits of righteousness. There is. You know, trying to explain... Um, my kids have grown up in church. They've grown up with Jesus. We've, been, we've taught them that, and we've lived it. And so we don't have to explain to them what a family looks like who follows God. They live it, um, and they see the fruit of that righteousness, uh, walking in righteousness. But you try to tell someone who hasn't had that, and they're just starting, um, and maybe they're starting later on in life or just coming to the realization they need Jesus, and you try to tell them that living rightly before God produces fruit. It's going to be a blessing to you because a lot of times all they see is what they don't get to do. Um, the fun, their lifestyle was so sinful, when you tell them to walk with Christ, you're basically saying, I want you to give up your entire old life and have whole new habits and whole new ideas and whole new, uh, whole, everything's new. You know? Well, and all they can see is the loss, and they don't see the gain from it. Um, I, we've, uh, at our, at our, at, Twaddle Realty, um, we've got a new program now, a new computer program that's going to be all, we're going to go all digital, which is, probably should have done that 10 years ago, but they're doing it now. And uh, so that we don't have to, it makes no difference, the point is it's going to be biblical, trust me. Um, I don't have to have a paper contract, fill it all out, uh, scan it, email it, then they print it, then they sign it, then they scan it, then they email it back to me. It's a ridiculous process that you have to do that. Um, and so now, it's all digital. We just type it all up, fill out the contract, email it to them. They digitally sign it. They send it back to us. So much more simple. But there's a learning curve. We have a 24-hour, not 24-hour, they, they're holding 24 hours worth of webinar tomorrow where you pick your slot, your time, and you tune in, and many of you have been through that stuff, and you get your training, and you learn what you're supposed to do. And many people aren't looking forward to it. I am. Yeah, it's going to be a pain. It's going to be new. I don't like learning new things. I'm kind of set, you know. Um, but I know that there's going to be fruit from that. It's going to be so much easier later on. There's going to be such a uh, more understanding, and everything is good. It's just going to be way better, way better. You know, should have done this ages ago. This is going to be great. That's like walking with Christ. When you begin walking with Christ and living righteously, and the fruits of righteousness begin to pop up in your life, you go, hey, my marriage is better. 
My kids are better. My parents are better, depending on how you look at it. My boss is treating me better. Um, everything's better. There's more joy. But like Paul, you could be very well in prison and still see the fruits of righteousness. I'm getting people saved in, in, in Nero's prison here. I'm getting soldiers chained to me daily, and I'm ministering to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're getting saved. The whole household of Caesar is getting saved, the fruit of righteousness. There's fruit there. And so Paul just tries to encourage them in some of the things that bring it about. These are choices. You need to abound in love. You need to uh, have more knowledge and more discernment. Abound in those things. Approve those things which are excellent. And by default, you disapprove those things that aren't. Um, Sincere, without offense, till the uh, day of Christ. And then what happens is you're filled with the fruit of righteousness. It's awesome. It works. Verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And this is what he's been getting to the whole time. The fact that I'm in prison isn't a bad thing. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Who would have thunk it? You know, this is great news. And so he's letting him know that there's a purpose for this. God's not wasting my time. Satan hasn't won and kept Paul in prison. That's what Satan wants. That's, what, that's how Satan thinks. Put Jesus on the cross. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, wait. You know, that didn't work. Put Paul in prison. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, wait. You know, now we've got all the upper echelon saved. It would have been better off if he was walking around the Sea of Galilee, just ministering to fishermen all day long. But now he's got the political system is getting saved. No matter what Satan does, God just uses us. No matter where God has you or whatever, whatever Satan thinks he's thrown you into, God will not waste your time. There will be fruit from that as a Christian. There's opportunity there. Even if you're in prison unjustly, you don't deserve it. You don't belong there. The fact that you're there living for Christ and being gracious and merciful and preaching the kingdom of God even in there, see, for the Christian, it's just a different audience. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter whether I'm free or whether I'm in prison. It doesn't matter whether I'm a slave or free. It doesn't matter if I'm in America or in another country. It doesn't matter if I'm in a job or if I'm unemployed. Whatever it is, whatever state I find myself in, God uses it. He uses it. So be encouraged in that tonight if you're like, oh, I can't wait for this to get over. Well, we'll pray for you that you get out of this, whatever this is, but I'm also going to pray that God's will be done like like Paul prays, I don't know that I want out of jail. I'll go through the motions here. I'm going, to go, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, but God will use me whether I'm in here or God will use me whether I'm out there. It makes no difference. I'm God's, and I'm a preacher, and he's doing it. And so he says, it's okay, you guys. Everything that's happening is for a reason. The whole palace guard, that's a lot of Roman soldiers getting saved, and these guys needed it, you know? I remember when the, those, the Roman centurion asked um, John the Baptist, you know, I'm, I'm saved now, I'm baptized. What am I supposed to do now? And, um, and, and he says, just do your duty, do your job. Um, don't extort. Oh, well, maybe it was Jesus. D- do your job. Was it John or was it Jesus that said that? I'm a pastor. I should know these things. Either way, um, he just told them to do their job. Um, he didn't tell them to stop being soldiers. He, didn't, he just said, do, do, do what you're called to do. Don't, go, don't be a corrupt soldier, basically, is what he told them. All these folks are getting saved. 
Later on, he's going to say, oh, farewell and, and greet the household of Caesar for me. All the believers there, you know, tell all the believers, the servants, the people who are bringing me food. Paul never missed, it, never missed an opportunity, always ministering to people. I loved it. It's awesome to read. Um, the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And they got more bold. You'd think it'd work opposite. It's supposed to be a fear and intimidation thing. You're going to be in chains if you... Really? Like Paul? Yeah, like Paul. You know, he's a terrible mascot for them. You know, they need to get rid of this guy as fast as they can. Satan just still hasn't learned that persecution fans flames and causes a fire to burn hotter. And so every time he tries to persecute the church, more people get saved than when we don't get blown on. That's a fact. One of the hottest... Uh, you know, hotbeds for Christianity spreading is the Middle East right now. I mean, it's going crazy. Muslims are getting saved every single day. I mean, all day long. And, and it's because there's so much persecution. They're not living long over there. And we pray for them, the persecuted church. But boy, you can't stop it. On the other hand, places where persecution isn't very high... Um, well, you just kind of worry about your own problems most of the time. You think about yourself, you know. How do I make my life better? When's God going to fix me and change my stuff and my situation and give me more stuff? That's how you think sometimes when you're not persecuted. When, boy, when the hammer's down and everybody's getting thrown to lions and beheaded and stuff, whoa! You know, yoga class doesn't mean that much anymore, you know. All of a sudden, it's time to tell people about Jesus Christ and stop saying namaste to each other. Moving on. 15, 15. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. Weird. This is a weird paragraph. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. There's groups of people in Paul's life that are preaching Christ because they love Jesus and they love Paul. Great. But then there's this weird group of people out there that are trying to bring more hardship on Paul by preaching Christ. In other words, they're in competition with him. Paul, he's, everybody loves Paul. Everybody's listening to Paul. And I don't know who these guys are. My guess is it's the Judaizers. I don't know. But someone's preaching Christ um, and trying to be competitive with Paul. And they think, well, as long as he's in prison, this is my opportunity to get ahead. Selfish ambition. They're not doing it like, I'm going to preach Christ and make Paul suffer because they're going to go to jail too for preaching Christ. The, it's a competition thing. They want to have more people than Paul. They want to be more important than Paul. They don't want Paul to have such prominence. You know, Paul says, I could care less. Preach. <laughs> I wish you did it from sincerity. I wish you did it because you loved God and you loved people. But I don't care if your church is 1,000 people, mine's 50 people. Preach. Go for it. Uh, all that matters is that Christ is preached. So if me being in jail causes you to be more vehement from the pulpit, <laughs> go for it. I'll stay in jail all day long. Preach. That's awesome. It's not a competition. When you're serving God, there's no competition between servants. Ambition is fine. There's nothing wrong with ambition. I'm ambitious. I plot the takeover of Maryville every single day. That's how I think all day long, whether I'm mowing or building whatever out here. I'm thinking, how can I take over Maryville? For Jesus, I don't care if it's me or not. I just, how, does, how, do we, how do we get all the sin gone? You know? How do we get rid of Satan completely? Just, that's ambitious. Selfish ambition, though, 
is when we get into problems. Now, if I thought all day long, how can I get JD's name out there? Can I use Calvary Chapel? Can I use this and get JD's name out there? You know, I don't know why my name isn't on that front sign out there. JD Dirks, pastor extraordinaire. You know, um, then we got problems. That selfish ambition, but ambition for Jesus Christ—that's a good thing. I want to serve God uh, with ambition, with with zeal. You know, but with knowledge, but with zeal. And so, he says, I don't care. Preach. Preach Jesus Christ. As long as his name's being lifted up, I don't care if mine diminishes or not. It's exactly what John says, isn't it? John, they said, hey, you know, Jesus is getting more people down there. He goes, I've got to decrease. He's got to increase. You know, tried to explain that to his disciples. And uh, Paul understands that. Paul, any true servant of God understands that. It doesn't matter what positions we hold or whether we're here, there, or the other place or who's got more or whatever. I think it's interesting what's happening. And this is a side note. Um, I think it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of big churches in bigger cities and they have everything. I mean, you open up their bulletin. You're like, oh my goodness, there's a women's ministry. There's a men's ministry. There's a teen ministry. There's a junior ministry. There's a sixth grade, sixth grade ministry. Just sixth grade? That's it? Isn't that what Sonny does? Sonny's like in charge of just sixth grade out there. And it's like, how do you, it's huge to have a church that big and you're still responsible for 300 kids or whatever. But just the breakdown, here, here's the Korean ministry, here's the, the Spanish ministry, here's, and you go, like, it's amazing. They're bulletins, you're like, ah, wow. And I go to these pastor's conferences and you gather one of the bulletins from these giant churches and you're looking and you're going, gee whiz, you know, wow, we got to really get on the ball. Who's going to start the Korean ministry? Oh, we don't have any Koreans, but not yet. Here's what I see happening in Maryville. And I don't know if it's, I'm just, I'm just observing. I don't know right or wrong. I'm just going to show you what I see. I see, a, I see a church that has an amazing college ministry. We had one where we just gave them food for free. And they came and we had a lot of kids here and they started coming to church here. But, you know, um, God fizzled that out. And, and that's okay, but now there's a church that has an entire building for college ministry, and that's good. And you've got other churches that are doing like specialized things. They don't do everything. They do this thing. This is what they're really good at. I think we're good at kids. I really do. Um, and families. I think we've ministered to the whole body, um, and I see a real good biblical example for that. We don't break up into tiny little subgroups and try to find Christ within our subgroup. We have koinonia in Christ Jesus as a group, as a family, whether you're young or old, makes no difference. And I think we do that well, but other churches are doing these other things. And, and, and um, I see some benefit to that in the future. Um, I see people going to, college students that attend our church, going to the other church for college ministry. I see people that have kids that maybe they don't have a kid's camp want to come to our kid's camp. Um, what if we all just kind of did our thing as a body of Christ and people just started enjoying each other and it's no longer where do you go to church is I go to church at like five different places. I understand. I mean, you, you want to, I want you all to come here to get taught. Um, I think we have the best, I, I think we have the best way of teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the entire scriptures. I think that's very important. That's the only way you can get the whole counsel of God. So I'm partial to that. Um, 
But there's some benefit to these other groups and other you know, ways of doing things. That's great. We don't have to have a church that does everything for you. Talk about meeting new people. Um, anyway, just a thought. That's, this is my observation. I see that. I don't see mega church that does everything well. I think you can try to be a mega church that does everything halfway. Um, but I can see this kind of, I see this happening anyway. I don't, I don't know if it's, it's a fact or not. I just, that's what I observe right now. And so, all right, back to scripture. Some are preaching from strife, some from goodwill. Either way, Christ is preached. Paul was content either way. It makes no difference. For I know this, this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. I know this, he says. I know that this, his imprisonment, will turn out for my deliverance. Paul doesn't see a difference in deliverance, death, or life. They're either going to let me out of jail, delivered, or they're going to kill me, delivered. He doesn't see a distinction. Either way, I'm going to be delivered because I'm going to be bold and I'm going to stand here unashamed. I'm going to preach Christ loudly to Nero and die, or he's going to get saved. Either way, I win. That's how Paul saw it, and that's how we need to see it. I don't, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of dying. I don't want to die. I don't want to, there's lots of different ways I don't want to die. You know? I don't know how it's going to happen. Um, sleeping would be good. That'd be all right. Um, I've got a lot of preferred ways to dying, but then there's some other ways. You're like, oh, my goodness. There's, really? That's how you had to go? You read these stories, and I'm like, oh, it just makes you cringe. But death, I really believe this stuff, and I know you guys do too, so it's like, great. I mean, um, I'm sure everybody here will be fine with me gone. They were fine before I was here. They're going to be fine after I'm gone. God's in charge. So there's no fear of it. And Paul has no fear of death. Um, what he's concerned with and what he wants prayer for is that he preach the gospel boldly always. Don't pray for me to not die. Don't pray for me to get out of jail. Don't pray for my life to get easier. Pray that I would not stop preaching Christ boldly. That's his heart. And so, with prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, he knows it's not his own strength. It's not his own gumption that's going to get him through this. Um, we're going to gut this out. No, it's by the supply of the Spirit, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I'm going to walk with Christ till the day I die, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body. He's going to be magnified because he got me out of jail. Or he's going to be magnified because I died for the gospel's sake. Either way. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I don't know. He's torn. I don't know if I want to live or die. I don't want to get out of here or go out in a blaze of glory. You know, I don't know what I, don't know what I want. I don't know what I'm going to choose. Interesting way to put it. I don't know what I'm going to choose. When he says that, for me to live is Christ. Christ isn't Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ. It's his title. It's what he does. He's a Savior. Um, Christ is a Savior sent by God. For me to live is to be a Savior, to preach the gospel, to tell people about him. Um, and to die is gain. 
In other words, the instant I die, I know I'm going to be with the Lord. He's affirming that. I'm not going to purgatory. I'm not going to have to work off my sins anyplace. There's no soul sleeping. As some teach, I'm going to instantly gain. I'm going to be there with him. Um, and those are my options. And he wants the Philippians to know that. Because remember, all they've seen is deliverance from problems, from trials. They've never seen this kind of deliverance. And that's why he puts that in there in verse 19. This is my, it's all going to, I'm going to be delivered. Thank you for praying for my deliverance. But don't be surprised if it's not death. But think, understand this, it's still deliverance. It's still deliverance. For me to live is, uh, to, is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit um, from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. <laughs> no offense, Philippians. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. It's almost like he says, but I know the, I know the outcome. I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to help you guys continue on with your walk with Jesus. I'm going to keep teaching you. I, I see that. Um, he kind of understands that. But you can see him kind of struggle there. It'd be kind of great to die. I can't wait to be with him. I'm going to be with Christ. He looked forward to that. I wonder. He's that kind of guy. He's that tough. Every time he got beat down, if he wasn't thinking, come on, one more, one more to the head, you know, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> leaning into the pitch kind of thing on those rocks. I don't know what he's thinking, but he looked forward to it. Um, I kind of do, to be honest with you, as a pastor, I do. I look forward to being with Jesus, but I, I kind of struggle with that. You know, you look at your kids and you look at your wife and, and, you, and, you, and you people and you're like, I don't know, it's a pretty great life pretty good people here. I know it's far better to be with Christ, and I, and I have that. I'm, I lean in that direction, but I don't know if I'm as, well, I'm not persecuted like he is, you know, either. So I can see where Paul's coming from. Verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith, the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So he gives them a little bit of a, an encouragement. Hey, make sure your conduct's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Be sure you carry yourself that way, because I may see you someday and hear about it, or I, may just, or I may just hear by reputation how you guys are doing. But either way, I'm going to hear about you. So he kind of throws that in there. I'm watching you guys. You know, I want to hear good things. I've heard good things so far. It's been 11 years. You guys are doing great, but I'm still watching you. Keep growing. Keep going. I don't know how long you've been saved. I don't know how many people you think are watching you, you know, but they are. And we want to walk worthy of the gospel all the time. I don't want to get so old and crusty in my faith. It's like, you know, I've lived that. Hey, you're lucky I'm here, you know, kind of thing. I don't want to be like, ah, I've done my duty. I've been in the children's ministry. <laughs> I'm done with that. Whatever. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. You know? um, I, I want to be the Christian that walks constantly with him, as close as I can to him, doing whatever, whether that's in there or whether that's out or doing whatever, always. Um, because if, if no one's watching, I know this, Jesus is, and he wants to see me faithful. And so also, stand fast in one spirit, that's that koinonia, with one mind, 
Striving, yes, but together for the faith of the gospel. Not against each other. Not backbiting. Not uh, tearing each other down, but building each other up. Um, I want, we want to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're all different kinds of people. Different personalities. Different volume levels. Different vocabularies, maybe. Different in all sorts of ways. But he needs all that variety. God absolutely needs all that variety to minister to different people all over the world, to different groups. Um, some people can't be ministered to by me. I'll try to be everything to all men, but I can't. Um, otherwise, we'd only need one pastor in the world, and we'd all just listen to him or her or whatever, you know? Uh, no, there's different kinds, um, and, and you're all needed. And, and understand that about yourself, first of all. You, you are who God made you. You have the tone and the attitude that God gave you. Now be like Christ. You don't, don't, don't think we're getting permission to sin here, but be who you are. Minister to the people God brings to you. That's who you're, it's who you're meant for. And don't worry about the people you can't minister to or won't listen to you. Someone else will get them. Minister to the people that you can, that you can and will receive from you. That's all you can do. Um, and God calls us to that. But then also recognize that about yourself. Recognize that about other people. Oh, oh, they just grate on me. Yeah, but they love them. How could they love them? You know, oh, they're so irritating or whatever. Yeah, but they get along great. And they're talking about Jesus and, and yeah, they're a little rough, but they, you know, or they're a little smooth. It depends. They're a little, they're a little uppity over there. Let them be uppity. Um, they're ministering to the uppity gang. And, and, and you, you know, wherever you stand, you stand. But appreciate that about each other. Walk in faith. Walk with each other. One spirit, one mind. Um, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. He says, I don't want you to be terrified. He commands them in a way, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. I don't want you to be afraid of those who come against you. Don't show that, which is to them proof of perdition. The fact that you can sit there calmly while you're persecuted is frustrating to them and shows them that they're wrong and brings conviction upon them and smells like smoke to them. I'm going to burn, you know. As nice as you are and as gracious and merciful as you are and as venomous as they are, believe me, when you stay walking in Christ in the, in the Spirit, they can smell the smoke. And that's important, that they smell that smoke and understand that. Ooh, you know, the hounds of hell are on my heels. But to you of salvation, it's proof of your salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Granted. You've been granted salvation, and you've been granted to suffer. Some of us more than others, admittedly. Um, some of you suffer more than I do, for sure. Uh, some people in this world suffer a whole lot more than we do in this room. Um, I think God's very careful about who he picks to handle suffering, um, because he wants them to handle it well. I'm not going to say this dogmatically, but I wonder if the reason I don't suffer more than I do is because maybe I wouldn't handle it as well as other people would, to be honest with you. Um, I've learned this about myself. God only gives me what I can handle, what I can bear. He doesn't give me any more. Um, he doesn't want to push me to failure. You know, um, It's granted for us to suffer, maybe a little bit, maybe a whole lot, um, but it all needs to bring him glory. So when you suffer, suffer for his sake. Suffer for him. 
Um, there's a fellowship in suffering that you can't have any other, any other way. You can't understand someone who's had a child die from cancer until, honestly, one of your children dies from cancer. I, I, I never wish that upon anybody, um, obviously. But there is a fellowship there that nobody else understands. And gladly, I don't want that fellowship because I can only think of the pain involved in that. But it's necessary. Uh, people need that. When bad things happen to people, they need other, they, other people that have had bad things happen to them to fellowship with. In Christ, um, it helps. Um, and it also proves Christ. When you stand tall in your suffering, when you stand tall for Christ in your suffering, that, that, that announces to the world that it's real, that he's real, that your walk is real, that Jesus is real, that he is a real uh, help in time of need. Um, he is our fortress. He is our defender. And so he tells him that. Not only do we get out of jail and earthquakes take place and we get magistrates to come down and beg us to leave their town, which is all they knew of before from Acts chapter 16, he also calls us to this also. This is very much a part of Jesus Christ in our walk as Christians. He wants them to see that. What I'm doing here in jail is suffering for Christ's sake, and that's just as important as getting out of jail for Christ's sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. And that's where we close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul's heart and his honesty. Um, He doesn't make ministry out to be anything other than what is actually happening to him. Um, There is no sugarcoating it. Um, Some days are great. He tells us that he's learned to abound and he's learned to be abased. He's learned to have a bounty and he's learned to have nothing. He's learned to be content in all those things. Um, and so, Lord, we take that to heart tonight, as that's what you've taught us in your word, that things may be rosy, and that's great, and you have delivered us from different trials and tribulations, but sometimes you deliver us in those trials and tribulations, not through them or out of them. And so, God, um, help us to understand that and to be content, uh, to minister to whomever you bring in front of us. If it's, uh, if it's in a hospital, it's in a hospital. Maybe we're visiting, maybe we're patients. Either way, help us to be Christians. Um, Whether we're in jail unjustly or out of jail, Lord, help us to be Christians. Um, Whatever state we find ourselves in, Lord, help us to be walking worthy of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.